Welcome to the Double Double, everybody. Episode 2. Shout out Derek Jeter. Um, we are on SoundCloud. We will soon be on Apple Podcasts. If you could do um, myself and David a favor, if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Uh, five stars, Dave, right? Only five stars. Five stars only. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna jump right into it. Talk about uh, the Celtics, and then briefly touch on some of the buyouts. But um, Boston, to put it to put it frank, is is a mess. Saturday, the, I believe it was the Celtics. They blew a twenty eight point lead to the Clippers and were booed off the, their home court. Um, Kyrie obviously went down with a knee injury, and according to Woj, um, Woj knows all. In Woj, we trust. Um, He's going to be day-to-day, and after the game, Marcus Morris, he had some interesting comments. Did you happen to uh, to catch those, Dave? Oh, oh, I caught them. Yeah. yeah. So after the game, Marcus Morris um, was quoted through a journalist at the Boston Globe saying, quote, It's not fun. I watch all these other teams around the league, and the guys are up on the bench. They're jumping on the court. They're enjoying their teammates' success. They're enjoying everything. They're playing together, and they're playing to win. And when I look at us, I just see a bunch of individuals. So right now, the Celtics are 35-21. and 21. Some people were calling for 65 wins preseason. I'm not going to name any names here. But um, the, the expectations were, were high in Boston, to say the least. And so far, they haven't delivered. Um, I mean, from my perspective, I, I see kind of four things that I, I can point to and kind of credit or discredit or be the reason for their, their faults and their misfortunes this year. But Dave, what do you, what do you see kind of as the, uh, as the, the diagnosis in Boston, if you had to, to get, see what's going on? Well, my main diagnosis is that there's, Basketball is a game where there's only one basketball and the Celtics have too many guys who need the ball and need shots and want a bigger role. And there's not a lot of role acceptance going on in that Kyrie's coming back from his injury from last year. He's obviously an all-star. Hayward's an all-star. He's coming back. Horford, Tatum, Brown, Rozier, all these guys who had great years last year all wanted to be elevated and keep the same role, even with the injuries coming back. And it's just the classic one ball, too many guys problem. And Brad Stevens. Too many cooks. Yeah, exactly. Too many cooks in the kitchen. Brad Stevens, you know, he coaches in a way to empower all his players to take the shot that the shots that they want when they're open and not so dominant with one player so it's actually a lot of probably a lot of fun to play for him if you're one of those role players but to help them best succeed is that you know Marcus Morris and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart should probably be taking less shots per game which is a big issue and will probably hurt them in the the playoffs again as we saw against the Cavs but what are some of your thoughts um I think I mean I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the too many cooks in the kitchen type deal. I mean, they have, I want to say, eight or nine guys. Uh, you know, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, Kyrie, um, Marcus Morris, Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum. I mean, all these guys on most teams are, you know, at worst, the third or fourth option. 
and in certain cases, uh, I mean, Gordon Hayward's still kind of recovering from his knee injury, but these guys are being pushed down the totem pole. And I mean, they haven't really had to deal with that type of adversity, first of all, in their NBA careers, but secondly, that type of role. And it sounds very cliche, um, but I mean, role acceptance at all levels of basketball, but particularly um, in the NBA is huge. And outside of Marcus Smart, I'm not really sure any of those guys are comfortable or okay with kind of where things um, are at with, with them. And then secondly, Kyrie's pending free agency is having a toll on the team. I don't really care what anyone else says. Um, we've seen it kind of, I mean, KD last week. Did you see his, um, his diatribe in the, uh, going at Ethan Strauss, the reporter in, uh, in Oakland? Yeah, I saw it. I was I was very confused by what Durant was doing, and I'm also just incredibly confused by what Kyrie is doing when he's talking to the media. You know, I've joked around before that Kyrie should uh, not have any media responsibilities anymore because it feels like every time he talks, it becomes a a three day story, and it and it's definitely hurting the team because it's they're obviously trying to compete for a championship and make the finals this year, and when your best player seemingly has one foot out the door and is calling LeBron to apologize for how he was as a young player and then criticizing his own young players who got to the Eastern Conference Finals last year without Kyrie, it seems it seems very odd. I mean, Irving obviously is a is a strange guy, you know, believing that the the world is flat and everything is just mind boggling, but he just he just needs to focus on playing basketball and not talk to the media as much. But one of my questions for you is, are they better without Kyrie? Unequivocally, no. Ky- Kyrie is their best player. Kyrie, I mean, outside of... He's in the top five of players of if a game is within a bucket within the last, you know, 15, 20 seconds and you need a score. I mean, maybe he and Harden and KD, Steph is probably in that conversation. Those four, is there anyone else who you would take or rather have with the ball in their hands? I don't really think, I think Kyrie's right there. Um, I mean, he's a dog as much of, you know, he likes to pretend he's, uh, you know, as they say, woke with all these, you know, conspiracy theories and, takes that i don't even i'm not even sure if he believes them uh to be honest but um i mean between his pending free agency and then you know the the ad trade talks we've kind of seen what happened with the lakers when they kind of dangled their young nucleus um in the talks it's kind of it's it's thrown them off and they obviously got blown out by the pacers and then rebounded with a win over the celtics but i mean these days everyone's everyone's being boston so that's nothing to write home about um, I just think I think this free agency thing it, it looms over players, and they it it does give them flexibility. But with that flexibility, just kind of comes the burden of playing the season with uncertainty and kind of that uncertainty. Um, I mean, we've seen Paul George this year. Paul George is on a tear that you could you could make the argument he's you know in the MVP discussion. We'll hopefully talk about that sometime soon, but. He's playing free after he signed that contract, and I think it's it's foolish to think that Kyrie's pending free agency is is not having an effect on the Celtics and kind of their struggles so far. 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting almost because it's because this unlike the Lakers where they're throwing in all their young players in the media and trade rumors, the Celtics were, you know, noticeably absent from any true Davis rumors because it was always that because of the provision in the CPA that they couldn't have both Kyrie and Davis on their team. And so it almost was their young guys weren't really, you know, being threatened to be traded last week. But it is really interesting when you when you watch them play almost without Kyrie, it's that they play together a lot more because Kyrie's a Kyrie's a, an incredible one on one player. And it's almost he Steven's system doesn't work for those types of players who dominate the ball. Let, let, let me let me just cut you off right there real quick. Speaking of Stevens, I have a I have a take that might rattle rattle you a little bit here. Um uh, Brad Stevens is he's robotic. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. He he's very stoic on the sidelines. He doesn't really show much emotion and in some instances, you know, that's a that's a good thing and in others it's I'm not sure it is, but just kind of let's let's think about where Brad Stevens came from for a second. He he went from coaching, you know, two and three star recruits at Butler to all of a sudden coaching entitled NBA superstars. Um, I mean, not that anything's wrong with Jason Tatum. He's going to be a superstar. Um, I mean, no question about it, but these guys have egos and he, he I'm not sure if he has the personality to kind of you know, you got eight guys in the locker room who are who are craving for playing time, and I'm just not sure if Brad Stevens, um, you know, has the personality. He definitely has a savvy basketball mind, and we've seen him with those out of bounds plays, just totally carve defenses. But from a personality standpoint, um, I mean, his, his coaching pedigree, I'm not really calling into question. But just in terms of managing personalities, I'm not really sure if. As an NBA coach, um, you know, his demeanor is one that I would want from a coach. He doesn't seem to be all that relatable. And now I could be wrong, but uh, you see kind of the Belichick mentality in that I'm, I'm going to just do what it takes to win and kind of next man up. And I think that works in football because the players, they, they relate more so to their position coaches. And there's, there's more intermediaries bef- between the players and the coaches. Uh, in football, whereas in basketball, I feel the coach has to be kind of more personable, and he just hasn't really had experience dealing with, you know, totally total alpha males, if you will. And now he's got eight of them all looking to play. And I just, I think he's a top tier coach tactically, but I'm not sure if I'd want him as my coach if given other options. If that makes sense. Yeah, that that definitely makes a lot of sense because. One of the things that's really not talked about that much is that NBA coaching isn't that. Obviously, there's a huge emphasis on you know the X and O's and the diagramming plays and the encore stuff, but a huge part of being an NBA coach is being able to manage the personalities and, as you said, the egos of the players. And bringing up Stevens' background is, is a great point by you, Kelly. Coaching two- and three-star players at Butler where they truly had to play as a team in order to win, and he had a tremendous success at Butler. And even as with his beginning uh, of his coaching career with the Celtics, with them not being very good, in order for them to win, 
they all had to play together as a team and be really team oriented. But now with all these, but now by having all these all star players, his everyone play together, play even is great on is a great idea on paper. But the personnel that he has right now doesn't best fit his system. And I think just the way that Kyrie plays, this is nothing against Kyrie as he's a tremendous basketball player and probably one of the 10 best in the whole world but his style of play clashes with Brad Stevens style of coaching and I think that's a big issue as well but also one thing to remember is as much as we're talking about the Celtics are in trouble the Celtics are in trouble there's still 14 games over 500 and I think Indiana will probably fall off now that Oladipo's out so they'll still finish in the top four in the Eastern Conference are we sure that the concern for the Celtics is also not is not just about their team, but also just because the Eastern Conference is a lot better than we thought it would be coming to coming into the season. Yeah, I mean that definitely has a large uh, that's a large reason why there's the concern. Um, I think people expected Toronto to be good. They expected Milwaukee to be improved. I don't think many people thought Milwaukee would be the best team in the East, and Giannis would have. Um, this type type of dominant season, but I, they've been on a tear. And then obviously, like you said, Indiana, uh, Oladipo going down killed them because I really like the way he and Sabonis and Turner were kind of starting to gel and mesh. I thought they had something going there. Um, and then obviously, um, if it, it, ultimately what it comes down to is in Boston – the sum of the whole is less than than its parts right now, and they gotta they gotta amend that. These guys are too talented, and going into the season, they I think they would have been the outright favorite, and I mean majority would have chosen them to represent the Eastern Conference in the finals, and some probably even predicted them giving a chance with a healthy Gordon Hayward, which he clearly isn't, uh, to possibly beat the Warriors in the finals not only make it but potentially win the finals and just kind of given them the, the log jam that the east has turned into that doesn't although it's still possible it doesn't look likely and i think uh i mean it'll definitely be interesting to see what happens but uh at this moment especially with the 76ers editions as well it's just it seems more likely than not that this i don't even know if the celtics make it to the uh eastern conference finals their margin for error is just slim they're they have a bunch of pieces, but I their their top end talent outside of Kyrie is just I, I don't know if they have a many guys at this point in time. Jason Tatum will be there sooner rather than later, but they they don't have a bunch of guys who I mean they're out for themselves. And Al Horford is a nice complimentary piece at this point in his career, but I don't really think he's moving the needle. But um. I mean, I don't really have much else to say about the Celtics. If you have any final points you want to make, uh, go yeah, for the, it. Just the, just the last thing, too, is that they're, they have a lot of really good young players, but a lot of their veterans have a lot of injury concerns, too. As you know, you mentioned Hayward. Honestly, his injury last year was, was a freak injury, but he clearly isn't 100% back yet. And Horford's been dealing with a lot of nagging injuries, and he kind of looks a quarter to a half step slower, which in the NBA is sometimes all you know, all that it takes when you're in the playoffs, we have to go up against Embiid. And then the last thing is Kyrie Irving, you know, he's out again. We're recording this on Tuesday after playing the 76ers. He's out again with the that knee injury. He's dealt with a lot of injuries over his career. And 
it's unclear he's if he can really be counted on for the entirety of the season in a long, intense postseason run in a brutal Eastern Conference playoffs where you'll have to play probably the 76ers, Toronto, and Bucks just to you know, get a chance to play the Warriors. So those will be a lot of intense, long, grueling playoff series that you have to wonder how the how the Celtics bodies will will hold up over the course of the uh, their postseason run. Yeah, and no, as we speak, the Lakers are about to lose to the Hawks. The Lakers are at full strength right now, and I'm not going to call my shot now because I don't think it happens. But if Luke Walton were to get fired this season. This is probably the type of game it happens after. They just lost to an Atlanta team that is not even trying to win, and the Lakers are in full-out desperation mode. So if, if Luke Walton were to get fired, I just want to say you heard it here first because uh, you know we're, we're ahead of the curve on things on the, uh, the double-double. But uh, now moving on, just buyouts really quickly. There's no one really that I think totally moves the needle, but there's kind of an interesting trend that – I mean, we're seeing, and it's one that I'm kind of keeping an eye on, and that's two of the better buyout guys, Wayne Ellington and Wesley Matthews. Uh, Wayne Ellington was traded from Miami to Phoenix and then waived and picked up by Detroit, and then Wesley Matthews was obviously traded from Dallas to New York and picked up by Indiana. Um, Now, neither Detroit nor Indiana is going to be making much noise this postseason, obviously, as we mentioned with uh, Oladipo's injury, Indiana's season, for all intents and purposes, is pretty much over. Um, hate to hate to put it that way, but but that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just find it very interesting that these guys, both shooters, both players that would have fit very well on say the the Seventy Sixers or the Warriors, they opted to choose um, a more significant role over a winning situation or an opportunity to win a championship. And obviously, they are both have their free agency pending, so kind of proving their worth and their merit in the league is important to them. But typically, you see, you see these buyout guys, you know, the, the guys in the past who have done it. Um, I feel like Robin Lopez is like a yearly guy who seems like he's always on the verge of being bought out. But these guys, yep. Anderson Verjao types, are going to chase rings in – you know, Golden State or it used to be Cleveland. And now a couple of these guys are actually opting for situations in which they're going to be able to showcase their talents rather than just, you know, hop on hop on the bandwagon and ride LeBron James coattails to the final. So I think that's that's an interesting trend. And just overall, kind of the only guy who I'm really kind of interested in that is a potential buyout guy. I would love to see Channing Fry get bought out of Cleveland. And I don't like the Warriors, but if you put Channing Fry at the five, and I know they have Boogie right now, but if you put Channing Fry at the five on the Golden State Warriors and he's just standing out there, this man, he doesn't he doesn't shoot with the frequency of Steph Curry, but if you give him an open three, he's seven feet and he's shooting with the accuracy of a Steph Curry. So that's a, that's a guy who I think is a difference maker, um, be it in Golden State or even a place like Boston. If um, I mean, we've already kind of touched on how they have too many guys, but adding a seven-foot shooter um, would certainly help Houston? to rec- rectify the problems. Houston? Houston's, Houston's another one because you could, you could play him. I mean, the defense would suffer um, with he and Capella on the court for sure, but uh, 
because Channing Fry is not he's not able to guard force. That's just that's a non-starter. Um, but I mean, that's a guy I'm keeping an eye on, and then maybe Markeith Morris is another one. But outside of that, DeAndre Jordan would be one, but uh, seems like they're going to try and keep him to allure uh, and attract KD potentially to the Big Apple. Um, mm-hmm. they, that might be a little ambitious on the on the part of the Knicks, but uh, you got to keep dreaming. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, I mean, that's kind of my thoughts on the bio market. Kenneth Fareed was a a notable one, but that happened a while ago. Uh, he's, he's, he's kind of been em- missing in action the, uh, the past couple of years, but he's always been like a solid energy guy. So I don't really know, you know, why he kind of just fell off the radar for a bit. That was a little strange. Yeah. One of the things that I was uh, confused about with those shooters coming off the market was not joining Kenneth Fareed in Houston. That seems like it would be a great destination where, that team loves the three-point shot. And with James yeah. Harden, James Harden's going to get you open looks because defenses are just going to do everything they can to take him away. Just ask Eric Gordon how much he, he likes yeah. playing with James Harden. He's just gonna, you, those, if those guys went to Houston, you know, Wes Matthews or Wayne Ellington on Houston would just be so much fun and would help them, I think, and maybe in... I don't know if it would really help them against the Warriors, but definitely help them in getting yeah. to that series. Just yeah just someone other than Harden who can put points on the board. Yeah, my, my understanding as to why they didn't go to Houston, because as you said, that seems like such a logical fit. It has to do with the owner's um, lack of, lack of a. I mean, he doesn't really have any desire to pay into the luxury tax. And signing those guys would, I mean, for every dollar they spend what is it it's like two two dollars two and a half dollars to every dollar spent he's got to pay so he's, if he's given wesley yeah, matthews or wayne ellington 2.4 million as he's getting as wayne ellington's getting in detroit he's really paying about seven and a half for that contract and kind of from everything i think his name's toman for or whatever he uh he doesn't seem uh you know too interested in spending too much money and i mean it's his money so he can do what he wants, but um, as they say, ownership is the or good ownership's the best competitive advantage in sports. And right now, the Rockets are—I mean—they're kind of riding James Harden as far as they'll take him. But hopefully, that that tank doesn't doesn't run out as it has in years past. Yeah, hope. And also, you know, Chris Paul's a guy who, like we were talking about with Kyrie, you don't really know if you count on him for an entire postseason run, health-wise, just counting on his body. Right. His, his buy to hold up. Do you think Carmelo will uh, will find a team? He's kind of been uh, exiled. Yeah, I don't. I mean, he. I, I don't think Carmelo has any impact on the NBA moving forward. Now he's a Hall of Famer. I don't think there's really any question about that. Just given what he's done, um, he's actually kind of. I mean, for the career he's had, he's he gets more. He takes more grief than, than he deserves, but, I mean, he's kind of brought some of that upon himself. But what he's done in the Olympics and then obviously early in Denver and then some of the individual performances he had as a Nick were, were pretty incredible. But past couple of years in OKC and then Houston and then, you know, these other stops along the way where he was, was with the Hawks and the Bulls for a couple of days collecting paychecks, um, stay mellow. Um, he – I don't. I don't think – I mean, it, it seems as though he might join the Lakers, but I don't really think that makes much of a difference uh, in the Western Conference. They have the open roster spot. 
And yeah, he's friendly I, with uh, LeBron. Yeah, we can get Dwayne Wade there for the last, you know, 20, 25 games of his career. Uh, get the banana boat crew. There's nothing that can help the, uh, the chemistry of the Lakers more than adding a guy like Carmelo Anthony to just an unhappy locker room. Yeah. I mean, Melo, he's going to go in the, uh, the glue guy wing of the Hall of Fame. He's going to be right in there with, with Mo Cheeks and Draymond Green and Carmelo Anthony, just guys who, you know, were the key cogs on these dynasties, you know? Guys, guys who you just want to be your teammate. You'll, who, who, who you'll sacrifice everything to just be teammates with, uh, with that guy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're, we're mostly a hoops, hoops podcast here on the Double Double. We're going to divert for a little bit and talk about some football. Dave, what, what story are you uh, – or what, what kind of storyline are you interested in, in speaking of? Because there's been some, some things that have come out over the past couple of days. Yeah, well, the biggest one that, that I want to get, it to get into and love to get your thoughts on is the whole Kyler Murray situation. Because I'm in the camp that he should be playing baseball and not professional football. This is this is a tough one. So he he obviously signed a baseball signing bonus. He signed with the A's. They picked him ninth overall. He's got to return 1.3 approximately of his 1.5 million dollar signing bonus that he's received so far and then he forfeits the remaining 3.1 million. So essentially if you kind of do the math and I know, you know, college football and the NCA aren't really thinking of it this way, but he basically got paid about two hundred grand to play football this season for the Oklahoma Sooners. So, um, yep. you know, probably a little less than he would have gotten paid if he had elected to go to Alabama. But um, basically, you know, it's this is this is kind of a tough situation because I'm obviously not in his shoes, and a lot of this comes down to you know, does Kyler Murray like the game of football more does he like the game of baseball more because obviously we can get into his prospects in both and kind of as we get closer to the draft maybe we could talk about how we think he'll fare in the nfl but i, I want to start this off by just talking about the a's for a little bit mm-hmm. or shortly Moneyball, Moneyball, billy bean man um great they are not shout an organization out. shout out michael lewis michael lewis man the big short um the A's are not the type of organization that can be, you know, their first round picks have to be surefire, like bonafide franchise type guys because they're not the Yankees, they're not the Cubs, they're not the, you know, the Red Sox or, or they're not a free agent destination or a team with a, a monster payroll and ownership that's willing to spend whatever it takes to win. Hence why Moneyball was started in the first place. So why they went about drafting a First of all, Kyler Murray as a baseball player is not even all that impressive. Before we came on today, I looked up his uh, his stats this past season, 2018, at um, at Oklahoma as a baseball player. He hit 296 with 10 home runs, 47 RBIs, and 10 stolen bases. Now I understand he was a you know he was a good fielder. He obviously is an athlete, as we've seen on the football field, and he. You know, he won the Heisman Trophy, and at certain points, as the quarterback, he looked like the fastest and most explosive athlete on the field. Um, but, I mean, this kid was the 13th overall recruit coming out of high school as a quarterback, the number one dual-threat quarterback in the country, and 
the A's elected to draft him knowing that there was a possibility that he would not stay with baseball and then after drafting him even allowed him to play football I'm not really sure what they thought was going to happen but um, if they weren't living under a rock last year they would have seen that Baker Mayfield won the Heisman Trophy as the quarterback at Oklahoma and Mm -hmm. you know as a as a recruit and coming into Oklahoma he Mayfield had about you know a fingernail of the potential that Kyler Murray had so putting Kyler Murray in that in that offense I mean I, I could have told you he was gonna light it up and obviously being a kid from Texas football is football is it's a different beast down there and I'm not shocked by this decision at all. And this doesn't mean that ultimately he can't go back to baseball if football doesn't work out. And that would concern me as an NFL team. How invested is this kid? How long until he throws in the towel? You know, if if he's our first round pick, which I think, I don't think there's any question he's going to be a first round pick. How long does he stick with the game before he opts out? And then the last thing I just want to point out here from a financial perspective, as I said, his signing bonus was, um, it was for $5 million, so had he stayed in baseball, he would have gotten a guaranteed $5 million. Lamar Jackson last year as a quarterback was picked 32nd overall, the last pick in the first round. He got $7.5 million guaranteed at signing. So assuming the financial scale, because the rookie scale in the NFL is all set in stone, there's no negotiating, um, mm-hmm. aside from the signing bonus a little bit here and there, Um as long as he's picked in the first round, which I think are, – are you? do you agree that he's a first-round quarterback? I think he will be drafted in the first round, but I think that his his size is a huge concern in football because he's listed at 5'10", but but being honest, he's probably shorter than, than, uh, than 5'10", and it's just how many successful quarterbacks have there been in the NFL at his size. Yes, he's a great runner, but – it's a lot different getting hit in the Big 12 than it is, you know, in the AFC South of, say, Jacksonville takes him. When you have dudes like J.J. Watt and Jadavion Clowney twice a year terrorizing him in, a, in the backfield. The, the financial stuff I completely understand. I completely understand the, the decision to explore football because while baseball has fully guaranteed contracts, it'll take a lot longer and he'll have to be more successful in baseball to get that huge hundred plus million dollar contract, which we're also seeing way less players get right now. And that signing bonus, as you said, both being a first round NFL pick is is nothing to to joke about. But I do wonder he if if he's just will be taken in the first round because of all the hype around him and and I don't think he's gonna turn out to be a good NFL quarterback, which is my which is my main concern and why I think he should play baseball. But my my counterpoint would be, even if he's not a good NFL quarterback, we've seen mediocre NFL quarterbacks get paid over and over and over again. If, you're, if you can establish yourself as a starting quarterback in this league, now Ryan Tannehill, I would not want him as my quarterback, and I'm not comparing Kyler Murray to Ryan Tannehill in terms of skill set, but in terms of standing in the league, if Kyler Murray turns out to be say a quarterback somewhere between 15th and 20th most effective quarterback in the league he's going to be bringing home 18 to 22 million dollars a year and the only guys making more than that annually in baseball are still looking for work right now 
Bryce Harper, yeah. Manny Machado. I mean, J.D. Martinez is getting paid, and there's a bunch of other guys who we're not going to go through right now that are getting paid. But it's you, you have to be a certified, bona fide superstar in baseball to get that kind of, kind of bread right now. Mm-hmm. And in, in football, all you have to do is be a competent quarterback who's not going to lose, lose your team games. As long as you, you're not the reason your team loses games, I mean, for God's sake, Mitchell Trubisky is going to get paid, man. Like yeah. it's it's I mean, crazy how these quarterbacks are getting paid just because and and we kind of touched on it last week with the Rams sooner or later some of these one of these teams is just going to be like you know what this is Jared Goff you you might be talented but you're just not worth the headache and you're certainly not worth you know 18 20 million a year in Sean McVay's offense we will we will draft the quarterback every 4 years rinse and repeat once his contract's up adios and i and i definitely agree with you that Murray, you know, if you decide to play baseball, we'll probably be playing single-A baseball in May and not competing for a starting quarterback job. But but your, but your point is that if he proves himself to be a starting caliber quarterback, I don't think that he'll be a, a starting caliber quarterback. And I hope I'm wrong because he seems like a, a great kid and I'm rooting for the best for him. But I just think that at his size, his his main advantage is his legs and his athleticism and not as he obviously is a good thrower, but I think at five foot eight probably tops, it's just really hard to play quarterback in, in the NFL and get a lot of chances as his career goes on for the longevity of his career. And you're right that he could, if he stinks at football, he can always go and play baseball. But then at that point, he'll be years out from playing competitive baseball and it'll be probably a lot harder for him to, to make out a career in that sport as well. Yeah, and, and kind of just getting back to what you touched on earlier, like in terms of, you know, him being able to sustain himself and, and be kind of durable at the NFL level. I mean, dudes like Jadavion Clowney and J.J. Watt, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, they eat guys for breakfast that are larger than Kyler Murray. Like Kyler Murray, yeah. Kyler Murray will be lucky to measure at five ten at the combine, and people want to compare him to Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is he's he's probably close to six foot. I'm not sure the exact measurement, but and I, I know football is not. Oh yeah, he's built like a brick wall totally. And I mean, in theory, Kyler could uh, grow into a body type similar to that. But I mean, I would I would not count on that. And we've kind of seen quarterbacks with a similar style that are smaller or taller, excuse me, not make mm-hmm. it CRG three. And there's, there's other guys, but I mean, Pat white was from probably 10 years ago with the dolphins and he kind of lit it up at West Virginia, drafted him, thought they'd run this wildcat type system and it didn't work out, but we can, uh, I mean, we can talk more about this as it gets closer to the draft. Cause I think, I think there's still a lot of meat left on the bone to talk about when it comes to Kyler Murray, but in terms of him choosing football over baseball, I would say that's his decision for now. And we'll see after the feedback he gets, you know, from the combine and his pro day and all of that, and then ultimately where he gets drafted, if he will elect to stay there or not. Because, you know, every year that passes with baseball that he doesn't pick up a bat and doesn't doesn't swing and doesn't kind of hone his skills in that way is is probably that much further away and that much harder it's going to be for him to make that comeback. So I think if he's going to make a transition it would have to be relatively soon after his football career starts, which would scare me if I'm, you know, teams thinking about potentially picking him. But um, 
kind of the going one, on to the next thing. The, unless the unless you got something that, else. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The one last thing I want to say is you, you mentioned at the beginning how this is obviously really bad for the A's in terms of losing their first round pick is they're not a that they're not a market for free agents that they really need to build through the draft. This is also just bad for Major League Baseball because Kyler Murray is is a is a marketable player. He brings a lot of excitement over what he could do as he was drafted on a lot of potential. And he's he's a name brand guy as winning that winning the uh, the Heisman Trophy it would have been a big get for for Major League Baseball and and to and to lose that guy would is it's just bad for the it's just bad for the sport of baseball. Yeah, the only person uh, or the only entity more upset than Major League Baseball is Scott Boras because he was his agent and now he's not gonna be able to cash them checks off that five million dollar signing bonus. But uh we'll see. We'll see. He's probably gonna elect to choose a, a football based agent. Um, or at least he should to give the impression that he's all in on football, but I guess ultimately we we'll see. Um Obviously, Kareem Hunt also signed with the Browns yesterday. That was kind of that was the co news, co football news of the day, along with uh, along with Kyler's decision. But obviously, Kareem Hunt knocked. He, I mean, not to the extent of Ray Rice, but I mean, assault is assault, and there was video released of him obviously uh, pushing and and kicking um, a female in a in a ironically a Cleveland uh, apartment complex. And now that he's signed with the Browns they're kind of going all in on next season and he it looks like he'll probably face a suspension. I think the the standard um hand dealt from Goodell in these instances is about six games and hunts might vary to a certain extent because he was punished in the sense that his season ended prematurely last year, uh deservedly so. But what what are your thoughts kind of on his fit in Cleveland and kind of any other ancillary thoughts? Uh, surrounding that yeah so the just the first thing is I definitely think that Hunt deserves a a suspension and probably one longer than than the six games these these incidents are a huge stain on, stain on the league it's it's just a terrible look for everyone involved in it, and it makes it hard to to root for these guys when when you see what they're doing off the field so I'm not going to say what the what the proper suspension length is because I'm a big believer in, in second chances, but I feel like the punishment has to be worth the crime, and, and I definitely don't think six games is enough. I probably think it's closer to a full season. But the fit in Cleveland is, just from a pure football perspective, it should be a great fit because he... Is obviously a very good running back. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's just another weapon for Baker Mayfield. And as you said, they're they're going all in. They're following the the Eagles and the Rams approach of going all in while your quarterback is still on their rookie contract. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, obviously, like you said, it's. I mean, it's it's despicable. Obviously, what happened. Um, this is not comparable to the Ray Rice situation just because, you know, as, as, um, I mean, as despicable and disgusting as the sounds, we've almost, I mean, we see these videos, it feels like once a week and Ray Rice was the first one really that I feel came out that we saw and kind of, you know, opened our eyes to this type of stuff and not 
I mean, that was part of it. And the other part of it was Ray Rice was averaging, you know, three yards per carry. So not only was he, you know, this, this serial abuser, as people coined him after that incident, but he was also an ineffective running back. So, you know, but just based on football merit alone, he probably could have been out of the league. So given, you know, his, his past, it's not really surprising that he didn't, play another NFL snap after that but given Kareem Hunt is what 23 or 24 years old and he I mean you can make the argument that he was he's certainly one of the top three or four most versatile backs in the NFL um I think oh, for but sure. the most interesting yeah the most interesting component of this for me was aside from uh the signing itself and just from a pure football perspective as you as you kind of mentioned earlier is I was thinking potentially Le'Veon Bell in Cleveland made sense. Just they have a lot of cap space. Um, I thought, you know, his fit with next to Mayfield as both a playmaker out of the backfield and as a uh, pass catcher uh, mm-hmm. made a lot of sense. Kind of like a Duke Johnson on steroids, if you will. Yeah, like the best version Duke Johnson ever wished he could be. Right. And so I was thinking maybe Le'Veon in Cleveland, and obviously this rules it out. Hunt is going to be way more cost-effective for the Browns, and obviously they have Nick Chubb as well, who quietly looks like the best running back from Georgia out of the 2018 NFL draft. Yeah, um, even for though sure. Sonny Michelle was drafted higher than him, I think Nick Chubb looks like an absolute stud, and if he didn't suffer that knee injury um, in college, I'm pretty certain he would have been the Georgia running back picked in the first round. For um, sure. But, I mean, outside of that, man, I don't – I don't really have much else to add. I think, you know, time will tell how effective this signing was. And if it, I mean, it's going to be a story for a little bit here, but once, you know, if the Browns, if this signing helps them win a Super Bowl, ultimately it's, I mean, people forget, and I'm not sure if they forgive, but Tyree Kill, a lot of people don't even know the story behind him. And then we're watching him hold up the deuces as he's, as he's blowing past safeties and corners on his, on Sundays. And, uh, you know, people people tend to forget, and it's you know sad, and we can debate if he deserves another chance. But the reality of the situation is he got it, and I think, um, I mean, from a from a football standpoint, I think it's a pretty solid fit for the Browns. It's almost it's almost strange to to use the words Brown and Browns and smart franchises, given just the dysfunction that's been there. But with John Dorsey in charge, as you mentioned, with Le'Veon Bell. They're taking a, a, a chance with a guy with a lot of off-the-field concerns, but because of those concerns, just from a pure football perspective, he's going to cost way less money, and, and Le'Veon would cost a lot of money. So the Browns are taking a chance on a guy with a lot of trouble so they could maybe fill out the rest of their roster with, real, with good players at more you know, impact positions of need. It's kind of like what the Patriots did by taking a chance on, on Josh Gordon not having to commit that much to go get him so that they can still fill out the roster with the right. whole salary cap. Yeah, I mean, I think the Browns, they've suddenly become one of the most interesting teams in the NFL. Mm-hmm, and, sure. I mean, almost must-see ever since they've been on hard knocks. Yeah, they were super entertaining on a, on hard knocks and... Mayfield came across very arrogant, but I thought very well. And 
I love how he I love how he owns it though. Like he doesn't he doesn't yeah. shy away from that arrogance. He kind of you know wears it boldly on his chest. And if I mean if you're gonna be confident, be confident. And he uh, I mean he certainly doesn't lack charisma. And as an NFL quarterback, I'd rather I'd rather him be like that and rather you know play with a guy like that than a guy who's I mean Marcus Mariota in Tennessee. I can't. I mean I I would not be inspired playing for a guy like that. So I'd much rather have a Baker Mayfield. You know, sometimes it gets borderline. Um, you know, you kind of question his his intentions and if he's mm-hmm. really team focused. But at the end of the day, I mean, he's bringing that passion and intensity every day from the most important position in sports. That's, I mean, that that's probably why John Dorsey drafted him first overall because at the time, a lot of people were shocked. And you know, obviously Sam Darnold was this QB, QB uh, you know, boy wonder, as people were saying, prodigy. And yep, that uh, was, uh, you know, he tra- that was me. Yeah, drafted uh, drafted Mayfield out of left field, and I don't think he regrets his decision for a second. But just kind of staying within the AFC North, Antonio Brown. Antonio yeah. Brown, notoriously known for his saying, "Business is booming." Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if he's shouting from the rooftops today or what, but he he wants out of Pittsburgh. I'm a little confused as to why there's obviously been some stories as to his displeasure with Mike Tomlin and Big Ben, but kind of what are your initial thoughts after hearing um, that AB wants out? Well, he's obviously the most now coveted player in all of football, because if you can truly go get Antonio Brown and add him to your team, that's, that's a game changer. Just think about what the Rams could have done with the the player with the caliber of Brown on the outside or imagining you know the Jets or the Chiefs with a with another with, with a weapon like Antonio Brown it brings a lot of excitement if if I'm an NFL team and I feel like I'm that one move away he's a guy who I would go in for maybe Cleveland will will do it I doubt the Steelers will trade in the division but he brings a lot of concerns just from a, a teammate perspective. The reports coming out of Pittsburgh seemed, made it seem like he was a very difficult guy to, to get along with, that he didn't really like practicing. He would kind of come and go as he pleases. He would be late to meetings. But from what he does on the field, if, if you can tolerate the, the shenanigans, you got to go get him. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. And I think a lot of these issues have kind of been you know, boiling under the surface for a while. But I think it ultimately uh, came to a head, if you will, when just kind of with the success that Juju had this year, Juju Smith-Schuster, AB, he's obviously Antonio Brown. He's crafting or garnering a lot of attention just from defenses and whatnot. And that's opening, you know, up seams for for Juju to just totally go off this year. And Great for my fantasy team. Huge. He was on mine as well. Um but I just want to talk about this for a second. I think now this could just be me, and I think Antonio Brown, he gets a certain amount of heat from the media, but I don't think if 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 this were Odell Beckham making these claims and doing this, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it would be the same reaction. I think I think Antonio Brown gets somewhat of a pass for his antics. He's obviously had the Facebook Live incident. I believe that was two years ago where he's recording Mike Tomlin's postgame speech in the locker room live on facebook for his followers um but 
I'm not sure if it's because he won a Super Bowl that he gets a pass, uh, but he won a Super Bowl in 2010 when he was a rookie. Let me just let me just read this off real quick. That season, he had 16 total catches for 167 yards and no touchdowns. So he wasn't really contributing that year. So mm-hmm. so that he's a winner argument kind of goes off out the window. Um, I, I I just think. I'm not sure. I just I I feel as though he kind of he gets a pass because you know he's he's this performer and he shows up, man. He balls out. He's got he's a, if he if he retired tomorrow, he's a Hall of Famer, like first ballot. Yeah, over 800 catches, over 11,000 yards, 75 touchdowns. Do you think um, he's the best receiver in football right now? Uh, I think if you put every single wide receiver with the same exact quarterback, and so. We're judging them basically off their, mm-hmm. solely off their talent and not off the circumstances around them. I think DeAndre Hopkins is the best receiver in football. Interesting. Who do you think is? The Giants fan in me wants to back up and go all in on Odell, but Michael <laughs> Thomas has just, just some incredible numbers and incredible catches. Yeah. And he's 23, 24. Yeah, that dude's destined to put up some absolutely absurd numbers. And and this is another thing that's going to drive me nuts because these these trade talks are only going to get uh, amplified. NFL teams value first round picks like they're you know gold that is just you know some currency that they're not going to be able to. I mean, it, it, it's really kind of excessive how much they value these draft picks, and. Eventually, what's going to happen is AB is probably going to get traded for, you know, say a first and a fourth or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And people will say, you know, oh, that's an overpayment or whatever. This dude is one of the best deep threats in football still. If you can yeah. add Antonio Brown. He's one of the best players in football, period. Right. If you can add Antonio Brown to, say, you know, the Browns, or what if you put him. What if the Saints were like, you know what? They don't have their first round pick this year because they traded it to Green Bay in that in that trade for that DN from Texas San Antonio last year, Davenport. But if if they were to, um, you know, Sean Payton could somehow fester up an offer for the for the Steelers, maybe a future first. Imagine he alongside Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas running those, you know, middle seam routes, and Antonio mm, Brown oh, just wow. carving up defenses, and you let you let. Drew Brees just air him out for for a year or two. I mean, th- there are so many places where Antonio Brown could be the difference in in terms of you know potentially making a Super Bowl or not, and just the reluctancy which there is going to be of teams giving up a first round pick to get him is you know blasphemy in my opinion. I think I think I would be I I don't want to say I give up two first to get him, mm-hmm. but um he's he's just about as valuable of an offensive player outside of the quarterback position as there is in the NFL. Let me throw out a team for you. I love this, the, the Saints idea, and I think if he did end up on the Saints, I'd probably get, I, I'd probably get pulled over driving so fast down to the nearest sports book to, to bet on them to win the Super Bowl. But what about Seattle? Russell, man, Russell, Russell Wilson, Wilson needs some weapons. He need, I mean, they've they, deprived him of weapons to the point where it's, I mean... <laughs> I mean, his contract's expiring, I believe, this this season, or he's in talks for an extension. And mm-hmm. if I'm Russell Wilson, I'm almost to the point where he's been surrounded with such ineptitude 
I mean, at wide receiver, yeah, but just as an offense as a whole, that if they don't make a move and I'm Russell Wilson, I'm almost thinking about, you know, it, quarterbacks don't hit the market often. And obviously we've seen the Kirk Cousins situation in which, you know, they, they put the tag for franchise, the, the quarterback, tag. right. Put the tag on the quarterback and it kind of makes it impossible for them to leave. But I, I like that fit. I mean, Antonio Brown and Russell Wilson, I'd say uh, I could get used to watching that combo. I mean, they were a playoff team this year. They, they won the wild card, I think. And then, you know, if you, if you add a player like Brown, that's just a huge, huge weapon that Russell Wilson's never really had a weapon like that. They, they tried to go get Jimmy Graham, but Jimmy Graham was never the same player when he was in Seattle as he was in New Orleans. So I think that would be really interesting. And let me throw out one more team for you. Shoot. Now, we, obviously we don't know if, they, if the Steelers would want to trade within the... Uh, Within the conference, but what about Houston? Wow, because um, because they feel like they're like they're one player away, and they basically just have to. to they just don't need to play, play the Patriots. Like they just can't play the Patriots. But they feel I like, like that, that. They're one player away with Watson the, the, and Hopkins. Yeah, and I feel like defense. they would just they would be investing a little too much in the wide receiver position. I know that's tough to say, but in terms of just financial value. That's probably forty million combined from the quarterback position, and in a hard cap sport, that is a lot of money. The yeah. actual the team that I was thinking of, and I do not think the Steelers would deal them to a rival. I think they're gonna, you know, try and spite Antonio Brown and send him to the worst team in the NFC, say the like Arizona Cardinals or something, just to send him to yep. football hell and be like, this is what you get for acting like a prima donna for the past six years, even though we put up with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what about Antonio Brown? Bill Belichick calls up and says, hey. We'll give you the 32nd pick in the draft for AB. It's not like they haven't done before. They did it for Brandon Cooks. Um, Belichick loves getting these guys for a year or two, especially when they're at the end of their career looking for uh, you know a little spark. We've seen it with Randy Moss. Um, not that not that Antonio Brown is kind of stooped to the level that Randy Moss was at when when Moss was out in Oakland. I mean playing football is that was like a hobby to him at the time mm-hmm. shows up in new england and absolutely just balls out with brady in 07 when they go uh they go 18 and 0 with one giant loss yes sir yep. that's us um, baby E-I. yeah yeah but um yeah i mean antonio brown I, if they were to deal him i do not think they would deal him to the patriots um but that's that's a team that i'd be very interested in seeing him potentially uh you know, shoot up for and try and catch passes from a 42-year-old Tom Brady. I think that there's a better chance of, of Kevin Durant signing with the Indian Pacers <laughs> than, than the Steelers dealing Antonio Brown to, to the Patriots. Also just because Brown is the opposite of a, of a typical Patriot player. He doesn't fit yeah. the, the Patriots' way. But, you know, I would be interested if the Patriots were also offering, you know, a fifty percent stake in the uh, in the TB twelve performance center. Yeah, but um, free cow smoothies. Yeah, you know, no strawberries allowed. But yeah, but yeah, the the brown thing is is definitely one to follow over the course of the entire off season because I feel like this is going to heat up right around draft time, and if nothing gets done, we might go to training camp because the Steelers might just say, "Hey, you're so good." 
you're going to play for us or nobody, which is what yeah. they kind of did with uh, Le'Veon Bell. Right, and I think I think an interesting storyline to follow as well because it doesn't appear that Le'Veon is going to be back in in Pittsburgh. Nope. It looks like it's going to be the new three-headed monster that used to be, you know, the killer bees with Ben Brown and Bell is now going to be Ben Connor, James Connor, and uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. And so, I mean, I think Juju was an absolute stud. I thought that when he was at USC, and he was one of those guys who ran like a four-seven at the combine, and all of a sudden. He's got that Jarvis Landry syndrome where he's casted as this, you know, guy who's running in quicksand. Meanwhile, dude's just a, a baller on the football field. And, uh, I mean, I'm interested to see what the Steelers look like post-Bell and, and post-Brown. But, um, uh, I mean, Mike Tomlin, he, I, I'm still kind of conflicted on how I feel as him as a coach. But he's I guess we'll – on the hot seat by now. Oh, yeah. He's I mean, the Roonies, the they've uh, – They've had like three coaches since like World War II, so I'm not sure. Uh, you know, Cowher's been there for, or was there for twenty something years, and then uh, prior to him, it was like a thirty year span or some something absolutely crazy. And then Tomlin's been there like about twelve or so. Um, mm-hmm. But kind of just moving on to the to the final thing we were going to touch on: college basketball Zion update. You know, it's a weekly theme here on the Double Double. The yep. man is, the man is built like a, a brick house. He's he's twenty two points, nine rebounds, two two and two assist blocks and steals on the season. He's shooting sixty eight percent from the field, which is like insane. Um, insane. Did you happen to see the block the other day where he kind of like the guy catches it corner three Zion mid paint and manages to jump out and corral the ball basically with two hands and just swat it out of bounds i mean i almost started a a scene at middletown institution the first and last tavern but with with, with how loudly i i yelled at at the sight of that whoa i mean does any player make that uh make that block and 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 then you remember that he's 285 pounds, and he put up a great game against Virginia. They're getting killed tonight against Louisville. You know, that's the classic letdown game after beating this number three ranked team in in the country. Yeah. But but the Zion watch is real. The Knicks have lost 17 in, in a row, and you know they were watching that block. Yeah, I, I just hope he ends up in a situation in the lottery where he goes to a team that doesn't ask him to do too much because I think a lot in any situation, a lot of a person or a player's success is kind of predicated on the environment around them. And I think if you put him, I mean, let's face it, teams are in the lottery for a reason, usually because they're not very good, right? And so Mm -hmm. they need guys who are going to come in and make plays. And I think initially Zion is, I mean, there's not many rookies that are, coming in and just lighten it up like Luca or like LeBron did. There's very few rookies that come in and just, you know, are bonafide superstars. Luca, mm-hmm. Luca should be an all-star point blank full yep. stop. Luca, Luca Doncic should be week. an all-star. We talked about it last week. Right. Um, and you know, if Zion goes to the bulls or Zion goes to the Knicks or Zion goes to the Cavs, he's going to be asked to be the man from day one. And I think he has, 
a ceiling that is, I don't want to say on level with LeBron, but it's about as close to LeBron's ceiling as we've seen in years. Mm-hmm. And I just do not want his growth to be stunted because he's in a bad situation. So I think a lot of it uh, is why I'm kind of hopeful that the Knicks do land a free agent and then they do get Zion. Yep. Or that somebody else lands a free agent and it's a better situation and they do get Zion just because I want the kid to succeed. And I think a lot of situations within the lottery right now are not set up for a rookie kind of with his skill set and, um, you know, stature as a potential star and physical stature, uh, literally, to be successful in the league. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of it's going to have to do with fit and we'll kind of see see how that plays out. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that that you bring up fit because Duke is almost built perfectly for a player like Zion because they have the two other stud freshmen and Barrett and Reddish who defenses and opposing teams have to account for. Otherwise they can go off and who are all, and both of them are also very good athletes as well. So Zion isn't asked to truly carry the Duke team. He's clearly their best player, but it's not like it's Zion gets 25 or we lose right it's he's he's a part of a of a team and and just a team and just from a prospect perspective shows just how good duke is makes zion even more intriguing because it shows just how good of a passer he is and how team oriented he is which is which is really intriguing in a top prospect these days I the think AAU era, as Chris Bosch dubbed it on the Bill Simmons pod today. I still, I still got to give that a transferring lesson. Transferring high schools and playing for all these different AAU teams. Yeah. This is a guy who truly seems like he is he is team and winning first. Yeah, I think he's um, I think he's a five man in the NBA in an ideal situation, which is crazy to say, but mm-hmm. just given his size, if, if he he can protect the rim, man, like he he is so damn bouncy. That, I mean, he he does. He's not. He's certainly girthy enough. He doesn't have the typical height. But I mean, in yeah. certain situations, Draymond plays a five, and Zion is an infinitely better athlete than than Draymond is, and he has not defensive instincts on the level of Draymond. But I mean, give him a couple years, man. The kid's eighteen years old, and he is a yeah. freak show. Yeah. That's one thing to remember too in, in, in the one and done eras that all these guys come in and, and we're expecting them almost to be LeBron, Doncic, Anthony Davis, these guys who who set the league on fire right away. But you gotta remember that when when these guys are two years in before labeling them bus, they're twenty one years old and just beginning their athletic peaks. So just the idea of what Zion could be in two or three years. Is is what makes him such a such an intriguing and, and transcendent prospect. Do you yeah, think, that I think he's the best prospect since LeBron? Um, overall, overall, that's so tough. And I, I mean, he, I, I, I think Anthony Davis is up there. Anthony Davis was, I mean, he was a sure thing coming mm-hmm. out of Kentucky. I think the only real question was. Is he going to be durable enough? Is he going to be able to withstand the grind of the NBA season? Because at that time, and even now, he's he's a bit, uh, I mean, he's thin. So that was always kind of a concern and still is. But, I mean, outside of, you know, AD, I, I think in terms of pure excitement from fans, 
across the country and just just basketball junkies. I think, I mean, I think Zion is about as surefire a bet as a lot of people have felt about a draft prospect since LeBron. What do you think? I think that the only real comparison is the talk of Embiid before he got hurt for his one year at Kansas. As, yeah, I mean, I could as like the level of prospect he was since LeBron. Because you're right, everyone knew Davis would be great, but he still had those those slight concerns. So yeah. I feel like he's more like Embiid, where you can definitely, you're like, oh my God, this dude is going to be awesome now, and he's going to be even better in two or three years. Obviously, Embiid had, had all the injuries, but I think... As you as you said, going back to LeBron is really hard. But in the last ten years, I think he's probably the best prospect since Embiid, like since the way Embiid was talked about before he got hurt. Yeah, I just I just think um, the expectations are getting so lofty, and it's I mean it's realistic to think he could be an All Star, maybe even you know I mean people are basically penciling him in to be an All NBA type guy. You know he still struggles to shoot the ball, which is kind of a key mm-hmm. in today's NBA. Yep. Uh, especially from the free throw line. So I don't, I mean, he's shooting mid 60s from the free throw line, and I'm not, his his form just kind of seems off. It's not, you know, to the level of, of Ben Simmons, but he definitely, you know, in terms of lefties who need a little work on their jump shots, he's in that discussion. Um, yeah, he, yeah, he has some work to do. Shout out Drew Hanlon. He'll get with him and uh, work on your jumper. Yeah, no, he needs to, uh, I don't want to say he needs to take a hammer to it like Ben Simmons does and, start from ground zero but he definitely needs some work on that um but there, there was another kid i wanted to talk about actually two more mm-hmm. uh the first one kevin porter jr i'm not sure if you're following this kid at all or have kind of kept tabs on what's going on with him but this is this kid was a heralded recruit from the west coast he's mm-hmm. playing at usc before the season you know i'm hearing all this hype this kid's the left-handed Trey Young, watch out for him. Like he's going to be a problem. The best guard at USC in years since uh, Demar Derozan, had, probably right. Since Demar Derozan, right? They haven't had a player like him since Demar Derozan. And what do they do? This kid's been suspended for the past month or two for personal conduct issues, is what it's being deemed as. And mind you, this is a school that had a player named O.J. Mayo, who's currently banned from the NBA, <laughs> can't even smell an NBA roster right now. I'm still waiting on that Lee Jenkins profile. Um, although I guess Lee Jenkins, he's with the Clippers now, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, so somebody else is going to be, is I guess, going to be writing that about how, you know, O.J. Mayo found his peace meditating out in uh, – you know Madagascar or something. I'm still waiting on that. But this is this is a a, a team and a university that has had knucklehead after knucklehead playing basketball for them for for years. And this kid is a supposed to be a top three pick prior to suspension, and they bench him. So I can only really imagine what what happened. I, I don't know, and I'm not gonna speculate. And I'm I mean, from what I've read, it sounds as though he's still likely to go in the lottery just because he's such a talented player. But um, I mean, these types I, I of, just these types of situations are also really hard because when you're because when you're suspended for basically what it is is basically violation of team rules that can mean so many different things that it's really hard to from just a fan's perspective because also we don't have that information 
of what this kid truly was doing. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Um, I mean, like I said, I just, in most instances, unless, you know, it's some situation like what happened with, I mean, you know, Baylor football or just something absolutely bonkers. These guys are playing, especially if they're future NBA stars. But it's, uh, I mean, I guess you kind of commend, I think, it's the dude coaching them who used to be at uh, Florida Gulf Coast Enfield, I want to say. Yep. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just I thought that was kind of funny how this kid is a lottery pick at the same school where O.J. Mayo, you know, notoriously, I'm pretty sure they went on a ban once he left because that man was getting paid. Uh, yeah. But who isn't getting paid these days, I guess? Um, yeah. I'm, I mean, you just have to wonder, too, with, with Porter's that, if he really is as good as people say that he is, he must be doing something crazy to not be on the court, as you're saying, because because it's not like USC is really known for its athletes and education. So right. academic concerns are probably not it, but I haven't watched much of Kevin Porter, but when when people are saying it's Zion, RJ, and then this guy, it definitely piques a lot of intrigue and an interest into who this kid is no doubt and then and do you have anyone story. you want to anything you want to touch on related to college basketball because i got one more but if you got something shoot yeah i mean i love tennessee basketball man i love tennessee basketball there grant, they well, grant williams bro grant williams, grant williams is and then, the most the best player in america that no one knows about and then, and then the best name in all of college basketball, Admiral Schofield. Oh, oh, give me more. Those two guys are just fantastic basketball players. They play together. They play hard. They're tough. They're very well coached. Great uniforms. Experienced team. Senior, junior and senior laden. And then I fell in love when, shout out to The Athletic, but I read an article about um, how they take chances on really good players and they really work them into shape. Rick Barnes has this thing that where he just gets these guys to in shape to play and it truly is a program where, where he'll recruit guys who are not physically ready to play SEC basketball right away, but by their juniors and senior years, you know, Grant Williams was, was one of these guys where, where they transform their bodies and it, they truly are a college basketball program. So true college basketball fans, you know, tune into Tennessee this year because I don't know if they're going to win the national championship, but I am pulling for them and my Gonzaga Bulldogs all the way. Yeah, Gonzaga. I uh, That kid, Rui Hachimori, or however you pronounce his name, the, the Japanese player. kid on uh, – yeah, he's a fantastic college player. I'm not sure how much how great of an athlete he is, but in terms of – uh, you know, being effective at the college level, that that dude is he's a problem, and obviously, uh, we saw them beat beat uh, Duke earlier in the season. The mm-hmm. the last thing I wanted to touch on though, have you checked out this kid Ja Morant from Murray State? Oh, 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 I have. He is a rocket bouncing off the court. He is he explodes the way that Zion Williamson can explode, and he's dunking not just on people, but he's jumping over people. He's, he's also getting tons of assists, and 
I'm pretty sure he played high school or AAU basketball with Williamson at some point. That would be incredible if that's true. But he is a, he's just, it seems like from everything I've read about him, just, just a guy who coming out of high school just had a lot of uh, things going on in his life that prevented him from getting a scholarship to one of the major, major uh, schools. And, but he is putting on a show at, at Murray State. If, if you have time to watch some Ohio Valley Conference basketball, which is a, just a great mid-major league, you, you guys got to check him out. Yeah, he's putting up uh, 24 points and 10 assists a night. Mm-hmm. He is absolutely running the show for Murray State. Um, I mean, they, they've had some good guards in the past. Like, I think campaign, I want to say Isaiah Cannon went there. Uh, so they definitely have, uh, have some pro guards, not necessarily great pro guards, but professional NBA basketball players nonetheless. But John Morant, right now, it, it looks as though he's, he's got a chance to be the first pick after Zion. He's a, he's a guard from a mid-major. Uh, if you ask, you know, which, which guards from mid-majors have really had success in the NBA recently, uh, well, Steph Curry Most is, of them. is one of them. Right. Damian Lillard is another one. His teammate, CJ McCollum. Uh, but, I mean, just for comparison's sake, John Morant, man, he, he, in a sense, he reminds me a lot of Dane, just operating in the pick and roll kind of being an assassin, um, you know, in, in that aspect of the game. And then also, just like just like Dame, Dame is an underrated shooter. I think he's a he's a poor man Steph Curry in a sense, just that, you know, you, you step off of him and he's pulling from, you know, forget three, he's pulling from 30. And I think yeah. John Morant has, has that ability. And while just kind of because his, his usage is so high and kind of defense, the looks defenses are throwing at him and, kind of the responsibilities bestowed upon him are, are so great. It's it's tough for him to really be all that efficient with kind of the teammates around him. Uh, but I, I'm thoroughly impressed by him, and they're not on TV much, but, but when they're on, I, I try to tune in. He's also just like the prototypical size for an NBA guard right now. He's, he's listed at 6'3", 175, so there's a lot of room for growth in his, in his body, you have to imagine, when when he gets to the NBA, and at, and at 6'3", he can do whatever he wants on the basketball court at that point guard position. And, you know, he's averaging over 20 points a game, over 10 assists, a bunch of rebounds. I think it's over five or six rebounds a game. He's just, he's just filling the stat sheet, and, and he's, just, he's just a guy who, if they make the NCAA tournament, watch out. They could make the Sweet 16. Yeah, they. Uh, I mean, talk about a one-man band. He uh, he's got the potential to really, really carry them far in the tournament. A la, you know, Steph Curry, two thousand seven. He's not. He's not going to be the player Steph Curry is. I don't think. Uh, but he's he's got an opportunity. And kind of as we speak, I got the I got the Duke game on in the background. Zion is going full on beast right now, and they were just down twenty three. And five minutes later, they're down seven. So yep. uh, we're, I think we're going to catch the end of this game. Wrap this up. And uh, I think we'll catch catch you guys or whoever's whoever's listening these days uh, later in the week or maybe early next with some uh, some MVP talk. Dave, you got any uh, any parting words or anything? No parting words. This is this is again just just a lot of fun and and looking forward to the next time we get to do this. 
Yes, sir. Thank you for, for listening to the Double Double, and we'll catch you, uh, catch you soon.